Yes. This one. Yep. It builds you up nicely. We're starting. Hey, stop it. Turn off your phone. Well, I was trying to warm up Go. the voice. You're going. Oh, not yet. I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm not. No. Now I go now. Here we go. Welcome to Penn Sunday School, broadcasting live from Show Creator Studio South. Today it's me, Pip the Magic Dragon, filling in for Matt Donnelly. And we're going to be talking about my book and nothing else. Also, Andy Gladwin and Hanson Jack are here. Go! That's right, Andy Gladwin and Hanson Jack are here. But now, your host, preaching love, it's Pendulette. Oh, I mean, what, 6 out of 10 maybe for that one? I would say, maybe, I mean... Let me tell you something, Piff. It depends on whether we're grading on a curve. If we are grading to actually doing a good intro, mm. that was pure suck. But you're going against the memories of Godot and Matt Donnelly, and at that, you might be 9 out of 10. Yeah, from, from over here on the couch, I think Donnelly's out of a job. I just think I've had better, you know? And yeah. I think that if we um, – what we should do – here's an episode. Okay. It's just um, Piff's intros. <laughs> it's like it's like one of those sitcoms where they do the best ofs. Yeah, and it's just uh, Piff's intros, where noth- nothing but laugh tracks and commercial breaks. And what I think intros. is interesting about today's show is that we have two winners of Fool Us on the show, <laughs> and neither of them is you. That's what I think is. I funny. won Fool Us. What's that? I won Fool you Us did. because you you gave us a pity trophy. Yes, we did. <laughs> and honestly, and honestly, I can't look at that trophy with any sort of pride and accomplishment. That tr- I, every time I see it, it's just a reminder of my failure. And you know what I did to it? Mm. I stuck it in the flamingo. We've got a big uh, cabinet with um, Piff memorabilia, and I stuck it there because I didn't want to look at it anymore. Yeah, it was not a pity trophy. Oh, oh my God! Come on. Well, it was a pity trophy. Right. You got a book out, Piff. I got a book, and I'm here with the two people who are semi-responsible for it. Semi? Semi? Mildly responsible for it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go through them in great detail. Handsome Jack edited the book under his pen name, Lovick. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you've had much experience of uh, writing a book pen, but what happens is... I have. They give you an editor. Now, what an editor does is an editor says, hey, have you written the book yet? And that's all the editor does, apparently, when it's Handsome Jack. They just ring you up and they go, have you written more of the book yet? And then when you say yes, they go, good. And if you say no, they they say, you should write more of the book now. My editors, uh, I've written uh, 11 books. And what did your editors do? And three of them were uh, New York Times bestsellers. And on none, and I repeat, none of those books did anybody say to me, have you written yet? They always said to me, uh, your deadline's not for another six weeks. <laughs> That's what they said to me. All right. On, on this week's episode of Rewriting History. <laughs> and, and, and what did the editor do then? What, tell, talk, talk me through the exact process of the editor. Well, I worked with uh, editors uh, given me by the publisher. I didn't think they uh, beat me up enough. So um, for my later books, I hired the editor myself. And the editor goes through and says, I don't understand what's happening here. I don't understand this, this particular joke. Here's your plot holes that you need to fill up. You need to justify this. This section is stronger. 
Can you expand that? This section is weaker. Can you cut that down? And uh, I don't like this whole chapter. Right. And then I went through and worked on all those things. Well, that sounds like quite a process. My editor uh, rang me up and said, hey, can I come and stay in Las Vegas at your house for a bit? (laughs) (laughs) And then I said, yes. And he's, then my editor said, we should work on the book while I'm there. And I said, yes. So my editor arrived and said, have you written any of the book yet? And I said, no, I thought we were going to work on that when you arrived. And then my editor was like, well, I've got to go now and see Penn and Teller. <laughs> and then my editor got back from seeing Penn and Teller and said, have you written any more of the book yet? And I said, no, because I thought we were going to do it together. And then my editor says, well, now I'm going back to L.A. early. <laughs> That's the way it worked? That's the way it worked. But I'll tell you, and I, I want to... I want to say this very sincerely. I do. I would love the book because uh, I do not believe one should be objective about one's friends. Uh, whenever anybody says to me, you know, my friend is in this play and I'm really, really objective about them and they're really good. I say, fuck you. They're not your friend. Right. <laughs> I say anybody that I like who's in anything or does anything, I love it. Right. On top of that, sometimes I see things that um, are not within just that love of the person's heart. For instance, I got the book by Pip, and the second I knew you were writing a book with Handsome Jack, who's also a friend of mine, I knew there's no doubt I'm going to love that book. With with is a very strong word. Very strong word. Yeah. In spite of. In sp- that's the perfect word. <laughs> that's what it should be. It should be Piff the Magic Dragon, written by Piff the Magic Dragon, in spite of John Lovick. It was actually the reverse process. You edited Lovick's gags throughout the whole book. Oh, yeah. You were his yeah. editor, mostly. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of work to do on his contributions. <laughs> book would have been out two years ago if you didn't have, have to rewrite my jokes. But I got the book, already loving it, and I sat down and I intended... To read it eventually, you know? Yeah. And I sat down in a really nice, comfortable chair with a nice cup of uh, constant comment tea, because although the English are appalled by that kind of tea, when I was a, uh, a rube, I guess I still am, from Massachusetts, and I went to visit Teller, who was sophisticated in New Jersey and had a job, uh, I was still in high school. I got there, and we sat down to talk. And he made me a cup of tea. And in my life, my 17 years alive, no one had ever said, let's sit down and, and, and talk and have a cup of tea. And he made me constant comment tea, which is a, uh, a kind of tea that has clove in it, which um, I think the English find repulsive. And, I'm ordering it off Amazon as we speak. And Teller and I sat down and had a pot of tea. He made a pot of tea. You know, my mother had tea occasionally by putting a tea bag in the bag. and that, But that was when she wanted to be very, very hoity-toity, maybe three times a year. And we had a, um, we had a box of Salada tea in our, in our cupboard that was there my entire life, the one box. It was never used up. But Teller had this box of Costa Comment tea in a tin, I believe. And he made us – so when I want to be sophisticated – I make, a, I make some constant comment tea. So I made a pot of constant comment tea, and I sat in a chair. Decaf or? I always drink decaf. And I, had a, uh, I made a uh, pot of constant comment tea, and I sat down in my reading chair. Now, I only read electronically now. There's very few exceptions. But this is a book that's not available electronically. And I opened up 
the book. And I also usually don't like books that stray from just text at all. I don't want books with pictures in them, and I don't want books with fancy shit. Just give me the text and the information, and I'll just read it. But I sat down, and the exceptions to this, and you're going to be blown away by this, the exceptions to I don't like books on paper really come down to two books, one by Piff and one by Nobel laureate Bob Dylan. Oh. Okay. So maybe there's a chance of the Nobel for me. But I'll just tell you, uh, Bob's book, I think, was $150. How much is yours? $65, okay. I think. So half the price, still there. Half price. So um, I opened up your book. I had this beautiful light streaming. It was a perfect experience. And I started reading the book with complete joy in my heart. Now, I'm not a person. I'm very different than a lot of people that you might know. Because I don't thumb through the book and say, oh, there's a nice picture. Oh, look. Here's something that I've heard a lot. And people have admitted to it. Oh, thanks for the book. I went straight to the back and looked at the acknowledgements. Thanks for including me. I've heard that of like five or six people. I'm like, wait, this you just go straight to the back. You got acknowledgements. I better be in here. Oh, I am. I'll write to him and tell him thanks. Okay, I didn't do that. But then again, for me... I was so pleased and shocked by this. You don't have to go far in the book before I mention. Yes. Because I do write the forward. Yes. And there is a picture of me very early on. Very early. But I open this book in this beautiful light with this nice tea seeping that I know repulses you, Andy. But I have a little... Genuinely does repulse me. I know. Yeah. yeah. I know. Uh, me too. Yeah. Because you just want uh, a, a nice, robust pico, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm really missing home now. For the first, I've been here a month, and you are now making me miss home. I've just ordered some of this tea to try. Yeah, you like a nice pico tea with a little bit of mostly dark, but a little bit of a red tinge, right? Yep, that's right. And it, you can't do it in America. It's something about your milk; it makes the tea taste different. Well, the idea of having milk and tea, I've never really grooved on. But I will tell you, milk and coffee and milk and tea are two very different things. Milk and tea is what started it. And milk and tea is an actual chemical reaction that does not only give you the two tastes, but the actual tannic acid in the tea changes when you have the lactic acid. They become a different thing. Whereas milk and coffee does nothing chemically. It is just a whitening agent that softens the bitterness somewhat. So the idea that taking from putting milk and tea and putting it into coffee is fucking insane. But I put milk in neither. Okay. I like my tea just like tea. And I'm sorry to repulse you with my tea, but you have to understand it's a sentimental love of my partner Teller from 50 years ago, you know, and I think that excuses it somewhat. And also the fact that you grew up with tea and, and I didn't. So there's family memories of you with tea that we didn't have because remember, I'm from Western Massachusetts. So all of my fond memories are of opiates. <laughs> that's what everybody in my whole neighborhood did was opiates. So that's what you do. If you want to picture, when I say Massachusetts, you picture Cambridge, right? Yeah. First thing comes to mind. And then when you want to go on the lower side, you picture Dorchester, if you're, if you're that far along. But you never picture Western Massachusetts. And to allow you to wish, picture Western Massachusetts, simply think of Kentucky. <laughs> that, that's where I'm from. Mac King, Lance Burton, Penn Jillette, same exact neighborhood. Okay. 
That being said, I opened the tea and I started to open up the book. And then it's kind of a twofold thing, which is, I love this book. I love this book. I love, wait, I like this book. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Oh, yes. (laughs) I know exactly what you're saying. Wow. I can't, oh, God, this is my buddy. They're going to be, oh, they were really good. (laughs) I tell you, we we asked the publicist to work on our show. Uh They were so difficult to get to talk to and blah, blah. Eventually, we got them to the show. It's after a month of them being difficult. And we do a meet and greet afterwards. They run out of the theater. They run up to me and go, oh, my God, this show was really good. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. That's what we've been telling you. And, it, and he says, no, you don't understand. It's really good. And I said, no, I completely understand. <laughs> well, that, it's really good. But there's a lot of things that I found fascinating. Uh, you have a balance in this book. Uh, that you very rarely see. As a matter of fact, I tried to think of another example of it in a book that's written first person. There is a balance of ambition and confidence with a true humility. Now, I'm pulling out the comedy now. The comedy, of course, plays into this and makes that happen. But that combination is so inspiring because often... Uh, you know, if you read if you read Salvador Dali's books, for instance, uh, the gag on them is his his confidence and his big dick swinging and no humility whatsoever. That's kind of fun. Then you see other books that have a great deal of humility, but it feels fake because it's not. Couple, well, why the fuck is this guy writing a book if he's so fucking right. humble? You have the combination of the two things in a perfect balance that's really inspiring. The book could be called How to Be Incredibly Successful Without Being an Asshole. (laughs) That's what the book has in that balance. And that's what I believe virtually every other magic book lacks. Now, Andy, you've published a lot of magic books. How many books? And Like 100 books now, I think. 100 books. And I would believe that 99 of those books are by assholes. Can you say that? Uh, these assholes are my authors, so they're, they're lovely people. Okay, sure. <laughs> but but we can look and make eye contact, and you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, so what this book has also, and I re- there's a guy, and you know about him, and don't say his name, even though you know it. Can you promise me that? Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. There's a guy who would come to my show back when I was in San Francisco with the Asparagus Valley Cultural Society, and he said, I'm having a lot of trouble putting together my juggling show. <laughs> Could I come and watch your show? Okay. <laughs> and this guy came to the show on my dime. He's getting Annie Oakley's, you know, comps. He's getting Annie Oakley's and he's, he's coming in and he is using a tape recorder and he is taking notes. Okay. And everybody, and I mean everybody, Teller, Weir, the producers, the person working the bar, the tech people, my friends that would come to the show said, he is stealing your act. And I would say, no, he's coming to the show to learn how I put together my act so he can go on his own and do better. Okay. And, uh, I don't, I'm not doing a comparison here. I am doing a comparison, but I don't mean at the same level. Lenny Bruce, I listened to those records and I memorized them and I never intended to do Lenny Bruce routines on stage. I memorized them and the George Carlin records so I could get 
how you put rhythms together, how you breathe, how you do that stuff. I watched the waterless cookware shows at fairs probably 25 times, took notes and memorized them, how they sold this cookware because I liked the sound of their voices and the rhythm, and I wanted to learn to hit that. That's what I thought this guy was doing. Turns out he did my whole act on The Tonight Show. Not important. What's important is... Wait, can you, can you, can you tell us what your, what your mom said to you? Because I think that's the greatest thing that's ever been said. Everybody wanted me to sue him. Right. And How old were you? <laughs> oh, you want that one. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was 21 years old, 22 years old. And I said to my mom, this is, I've worked my whole life on this. And she said, you're 22. <laughs> that was, that was her whole answer. She said, write new stuff. And I said, no, but this is all. She said, write new stuff. She said, if you consider yourself a writer, write new stuff. Yeah. My mother was not bothered at all by someone stealing my whole act. She said, if he can't write and you can't write, you write new stuff. He doesn't. Everybody else wanted me to sue him. My mother said, take that time and write new stuff because that'll be more fun than suing him. Right. Uh, and also you'll feel better about yourself. So when you read this book, I believe that when you read other magic books, you look through them and say, what can I take here and put in my act? Which I will say is, is the reason the books are written, and that's fine. But in this book, if someone reads it properly, you read through the book. And this worked for me, by the way. I'm not, I'm not talking about novices. I've had some experience in magic. And I read this book and go, it's fascinating the way he put this routine together. The dead ends are fascinating. And maybe, oh, yeah, the vibe on this seems right. And I was making notes on stuff I wanted to do that I, I will defy anyone who sees me do these to say, oh, that came from Piff's book. Right. And that's what you're looking for. And the thing that you do in the other magic books written by assholes who you like, Andy. Um, I genuinely do like I know you do. I know you do. I have no doubt that you're not lying and you know that I'm not lying. <laughs> right? We know that. We're both telling the truth. They say, here is a piece of apparatus that I came up with. And they show you this thing that they came up with that is useless. You either make that thing exactly, okay, right. or you don't do anything with it. You show the wrong ideas you had, yeah. and these give me an idea of when I'm having someone else build a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that it's fine to send them down dead ends. Yeah. But someone else reading this book who maybe has touched a prop off stage in their life would have some idea of how they would build stuff. It's really astonishing the way the book is put together and really shows so different than I set my sights on getting on America's Got Talent. Right. So different to say what the plan was, because even the plan, which is not true, that you intended to go on and come in second, even that plan has a has a reality base that is just beautiful. And the discussion you have about doing, um, I don't know what kind of word you want to use, slightly outside the bell curve jokes, right. like the jokes you did about harming your dog. Oh, uh, yeah. And then your comment about watching a comic uh, do jokes about cancer with your mother who had cancer. Right. That is the most, as the person who made the aristocrats, what you did 
in one page in that book may be what I tried to do with a hundred comedians an hour and a half and five years of my life and trying to force Provenza to do anything. Because my basic, the way I made the aristocrats was I called up Paul Provenza and said, have you made the aristocrats? He said, no. I said, get to work on it. Then I would call him up and say, have you made the aristocrats? He said, no. I said, get to work on it. I said, hey, Provence, I'm coming to L.A. I'll be staying at your house. Have you made the aristocrats? No. I'm going to go out and see Handsome Jack do a show. Then I would come back and say, have you made the aristocrats? He said, no. I said, I'm going back to Vegas early. That was essentially what I did on the aristocrats. The book is astonishing, Biff. It really uh, is. Well, thank you very much for thank you for reading it. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, none of your other friends will. I, and I'm fine with that. You know, it could go both ways. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. You know, you could read it. I could. I could. I, we could meet up for coffee, and you're more distant than you used to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. suddenly I, I paid for coffee, and um, <laughs> and you've got espressos rather than the full americano, so that you can leave early. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Guess he, guess he didn't like the book. Yeah, it happened. Uh, it took a long time. But I will say that without the help of one of these two people here, <laughs> it would never have got done. What the fuck did Andy do? Tell me that. Literally the book. <laughs> so we, now look, Lubbock and I, we spent many, too long to, yeah. together. Mm -hmm. uh, Anyone one of us, who has spent any time right. with Handsome Jack would be able to say that same thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I don't think you have them here, but do you have like any sort of like, um, I guess you've got planes, right? In, over here. In in England, whenever we get on off trains, you have to go through a ticket barrier and there's a guy there uh, or a girl watching you swipe your ticket. Mm -hmm. And that would be too long to spend with John, with John <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's a fraction of the time that they spend checking your ticket on a on a plane that's interesting because it's the time you spend swiping the ticket but it feels like the time it takes when you're picked by tsa for special <laughs> screening yeah it feels that way although it happens the other way it's a fascinating thing that all of our experience with handsome jack has to do with travel <laughs> trying to get the fuck away exactly. from handsome jack trying to put as much distance between yeah. Yeah. me and hazard so uh, we spent far too long together, but then we finally finished this text. I think you you know Zach Byer, who works in my show. He's a squire camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's an incredible filmmaker, photographer, and uh, he does all our trailers. He did the trailer for the book, which is amazing. It is good. It's good. Um, he did, and he took all the photos under much duress. Now, will he be so the one that when you edit the book launch, takes out my references to Putin no, and Nazis. Nobody's doing that. Okay. So, you know, I, s since you mentioned the photos. Yes. Are, are you done? I, I can wait. Were you in the middle of a story? Yeah, well, I was okay. saying something interesting. No, please come in with no. some banal comment that's related no, to oh, nothing. Uh, well, I just, it, it, it's all about the process of the book, but you finish your. No, but honestly, I. Okay. Let me, let me step aside. Okay. In I the hope that I get hit by an oncoming train. <laughs> So I, I just want to talk a little bit about what, oh, what the process is. It's an like work, working with Piff. So we finish writing the book. We need to take some photos. Mm -hmm. So we schedule a photo shoot. I'm going to come to Vegas for the photo shoot. I clear my schedule so I can come to Vegas for the How photo long did it take? How long did what take? Clearing, Clearing your schedule. schedule. <laughs> <laughs> 
He had to collect train tickets. <laughs> that's, He's that's, busy. That, that part of the story is not important. <laughs> that seems the vital so, piece. So I clear, clear my schedule. Going to come to Vegas. I'm going to leave at, uh, uh, you know. We're set- there for breakfast. Come on, give me the story. What's the story about? <laughs> okay, who cares you're what time you leave? Clearing your schedule, you're opening no, your schedule, no, you're seeing it. No, the schedule time is not doing. open. No, the, yeah. t- the, t- the orange juice it, and grapefruit juice. No, this is, your, your honor, <laughs> the relevance will become clear in a moment. <laughs> okay, so, asked so, and answered. So I'm going to leave at eight, 8 in the morning to drive to Vegas. Mm-hmm. At midnight, at midnight, I get a text from Puff. Oh, we can't do the photo shoot. And he's known for a week that we can't do the photo shoot, but he lets me know midnight the night before we leave. Oh. So a couple of months later, we repeat this process. We pick a day. I'm going to come out. The night before midnight, he cancels. So we finally have a third photo shoot scheduled. I come to town. I'm in, staying at Piff's house. Photo shoots the next morning. And I say, what time are we going to do this photo shoot? Oh, oh. Before, I said, okay, make sure we pick a day for this photo shoot. We've got all day. We've got all day because this is going to take a long time. We've got all day. You've got nothing else going on. So that night, I say, what time are we starting the photo shoot tomorrow, Piff? says 10 a.m. I said, sounds, sounds great. We'll get to the studio or the, the, the theater at 10 a.m.? Go sure. So I wake up the next morning at 9. I wait. Jeff for breakfast. Around, around 10.20, Piff rolls out of bed. He rolls out of bed at 10.20. You were sleeping together? <laughs> he rolls out of his that's, bed. That's what you require yeah. when working on a book, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he rolls out of bed at 10.20 for this photo shoot where we're supposed to be him at shoes. the theater at 10. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, so we're going to get started a little bit late. And we sit down for a cup of coffee. And Pip goes, yeah, I just remembered I have a doctor's appointment today. I'm like, okay, what time's doctor's appointment? It's 11.30. 11.30, Okay. All right, well, what time, what time can we get to the theater to start the photo shoot? And he goes, well, I should be there by 12.30. I'm thinking, okay, 12.30, if we shoot, Half you know. Half an hour doctor's appointment. Well, that's what you said. You said the doctor's appointment was 11.30. I have 11 no 30. memory of any of this, which doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should hang the land. It so, just means I have no memory of this. So, so I get a theater at 12.30. Piff shows up at 12.30. Oh, I'll find doctor's Piff shows at 12.30. Very fast. Yeah. Wow. So, oh, you're still alive, Piff. Get out of here. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, we're starting to talk about the photo shoot. I said, well, you know, we, we need to shoot part of it at, you know, this part of the theater, part of this part of the theater, or maybe you have another place the photographer has something in mind. When's, where's the photographer? Oh, he's going to get here at two. He's going to get here at two. Okay. And so I'm starting to think, all right, well, you know, we shoot into the evening. We can still finish everything. I said, how late? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so I say, okay, we shoot in the evening. We can get this done. I said, how late? How late can we stay here? Can we stay here to midnight if we want? And Piff's like, well, the show's at seven. I'm like, the show's at seven? What time have we got to clear out? 5.30. So now, instead of having all day to shoot photos, we're down to three and a half hours to shoot photos. So we had three and a half hours to shoot and photos. you shot all the photos? No, we did no. not shoot all the photos because we only had three and a half fucking hours, which is my fucking at, point. At this point, <laughs> I would like to yeah. um, add the following yeah. piece of uh, information. Don't worry, we can edit that out. Yeah. It was only when Lovick left that we actually got to shoot the photos. <laughs> <laughs> the photos were yeah. done downstairs in the basement without the presence of Lovick, and uh, the whole thing passed without incident. <laughs> now, uh, Andy... You were watching over this whole. Did you did you engage their services to write this book, or wait till they were done? Well, so Lovick secretly hates me, 
And this is the first time he's ever called me for advice. Like, how do I get Piff to take pictures? And I think I just said, just leave him to it. And that's what happened. You yeah. just got I want to know the whole process. Did you say, well, no, no. I'm going to buy a Piff book? Or did Piff finish the book and you say, I'll buy it? I convinced him to write the book. We, we went for a coffee when I was yeah. in Vegas for a while. And somehow I convinced him. And then a pandemic happened, which kind of made him feel guilty about actually having time to write it. And then we got out of the pandemic and he'd written the book. But I don't think you liked it, right? It was I, terrible. I wrote a first draft. You see, this is the, this is, this is the real issue. I wrote a first draft that uh, Lovick edited <laughs> and was like, okay, it's done. And I was like, it's a piece of shit. And Lovick's like, no, it's fine. It's done. I was like, this is a piece of shit. So then he starts wanting to come and take photos of a piece of shit. Uh -huh. I'm like, mm, I think I'm busy that day. I'll go into the doctors. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so then I refused to do anything more with it. <laughs> and at some point I started. I just want to say, uh, Andy, this is, I, I, I want to talk to the one grown up here. Has any money changed hands for anybody at this point? Not yet. Not no. a penny. Um, but the book was very much like the, the standard magic book you were talking about at this point. So I think if we'd have finished it, it would have just been a forgettable book, yeah, right? It didn't it was, have Piff personality. It was, it was nothing. just, here's some tricks. So then I don't know what great. happened. Suddenly, I got busy. And I, start, and I started writing the book. I know what happened. I had to flesh out the opening chapter, which is a story about how I got to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I built up a momentum doing that, and I carried that momentum through the book and got to the point when I went on vacation for two weeks to Mexico to a very nice spa-y hotel thing, which is my favorite. It's just being at a hotel and lying by the pool, and I have like the bucket of ice where you have the champagne, and I have a bottle of sparkling water in there. I like that. Too. that that's my favorite vacation. And I just sat there with my laptop and just wrote the, wrote the shit out of the book. And then... Lovick eventually started he doing... He comes out of Mexico? No. <laughs> he would have melted. <laughs> Lovick eventually what? He eventually... <laughs> eventually he started editing the book. At that late stage. When it was like 90% done. Whoa, 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 whoa! You start editing a book when it's 100% done, you dipshit! Listen, I'm not the one who started editing it at 90%. <laughs> so why don't you dipshit that dipshit? <laughs> dipshit. <laughs> First draft gets done, then you edit. Well, the first draft didn't need editing. Okay. <laughs> I was like, you know when like... The first draft didn't need reading. Yeah, you know when like a hedgehog gets run over. Yeah. You don't... That's not the time to try and put it back together. <laughs> I don't think I do know when a hedgehog gets run over. In England, it gets like paste. It's like a smeared on the road. It's like a paste. That's the time to make now, pate out of it. I don't ever care about this shit at all. But the book is beautiful. Well, that now, who made that book beautiful? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. No, I, it's a combination of two things. Of all the photos that I've had taken, I've been lucky to work with like these amazing photographers over the years. All the photographers, all of the artwork that they've done, because I can't draw for shit. Can you draw? No, I can't. I can't even read my own writing. I went. I went. To, I when I was in. Um, you have beautiful handwriting, though. Me? No, I can barely read it. Yeah, I can't read my. Um, I, when I went to when I was in school. My art teacher, you know, said an incredibly inspiring talk at the, on my first lesson. Anyone can draw. All you've got to do is put in the time. All you have to do. And I put in the time because I really wanted to learn how to draw. Over and over again, I would try my hardest at art school. I got, and then I got to um, 
the year when you have to pick your your last two years subjects, which is the ones you get tested on. And I said, you know what? Uh, I've given this art class my all. I want to take this class and get graded on it. And my art teacher said, no, you can't draw. <laughs> and I was like, but you said everyone can. And the art teacher said, I was wrong. <laughs> you cannot draw. So, um, but I've worked with all these really super talented people. So I, I was able to give Andy these incredible, all these incredible photos. And he did the most badass layout. And every day it would be like, every, you know, I, I spent some time in Dubai. And every day they're building a monorail. And every day I would be in the same traffic jam. And the monorail was like 30 meters further on every day. Mm-hmm. They would just go boom, 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 boom. It was almost going faster than the It's traffic. amazing what you can do with no human rights, right. an incredible amount of money, no compassion, and slavery. You can get a lot done. Yeah. and Well, you did. They did. <laughs> <laughs> they did and we did. So uh, Andy, every day, would send in like 50 pages, 75 pages, 100 pages. And he laid out the text beautifully. Uh, we, he, so you did the layout, Andy? He did the yeah. layout. He did the design You really. Theme. Really a beautiful job. Oh, it's gorgeous. Because usually books that look that pretty uh, suffer in clarity. Well, you know, my secret is I always try and match the layout to the personality of the, the author. Mm-hmm. And that's that's actually hard with most like card trick books because it's card tricks don't have personality. No. But Piff was just like, do whatever you want. You can just want. say broader. Magicians don't have personality. <laughs> I was being nice. These people are my customers. I know, my I know. I know. Of course they are. This is but, how you think you're going to lose customers? <laughs> on Penn Sunday School? Um, <laughs> Whatever happened to Vanishing Ink? And did one episode of Penn Sunday School. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody bought from him again. Ever. They, they all went back to Hank Lee. But He's not around anymore. Uh, but Piff was like, just let me do whatever I want, which was the dream for me. I've always wanted that with a book layout. And well, he's the only one to It's do about it. a, uh, you know, it's... It, the square shape is really nice. Andy's idea. And the uh, the quality of the paper is really nice. Andy's I'm surprised idea. you can sell it for 65 bucks. I got so much shit for that square shape. People like around my circle of friends really? hated it. They were like, this is the wrong format. But I was just, it felt right because it's a coffee table book. It opens, yeah. it stays open. Uh, and it was just really important to me that it felt like a book that Piff would have done if he could design books. <laughs> right, which I can't. That's why I did it. Um, <laughs> so you actually do hands-on design stuff? Yeah, I design. I mean, were you, did you have the program open? Yes, and I was watching it. Around? I was watching You it. actually did that, in. Yeah. yeah, and I can lay out a book quicker than love it can tell a story. So it's yeah. pretty good for me to just... I just yeah, well, do... the Roman Empire. <laughs> <laughs> so They could kill 1,500 Christians but the time it takes love it to tell a story. Um, the only slight disagreement we have was, I, I, Mommy, Daddy, please don't fight. I wanted to put my trick where I did not fool you with, which I did not uh-huh. fool you with, uh, even though you believe I fooled you uh-huh. with the card changing one piece at a time mm-hmm. into another card. But I just could not be fucked to write up how to do it because it's like you get into phalanges, you know, yeah. of fingers, and I'm just like, I don't want to be like take your middle phalange of your left pinky finger. You know, oh, I just couldn't deal with it. So in the end, what I believe I, or possibly Lovick and I, possibly decided to do was to take a photo of each step from the front and from the back and then just put the front on the right and the back on the left and uh, you just have to flip through and figure out how it's done. Mm-hmm. That that requires one photo per page. 
But it's also, and this is stuff I never, ever notice, it's also so beautifully lit and so beautifully shot, and the color saturation is just perfect. Well, that was because Love It went away and left us to it. And the glossiness of the, uh, of the book, that becomes, I, I really think that this is not a book uh, for magicians. I really think this is a book, your sight should be set much wider. Uh, I've wanted to do, I'm going to actually talk to Handsome about this. I've wanted to do a show for a long time for the general public that was a magic lecture. Because I think there is a, um, I just said this and now someone else will do it. I've just, I know who it is too, the guy <laughs> for the Tonight Show. Um, <laughs> but I think that uh, magicians have the opposite problem of many, many comedians who, uh, Comedians are always looking for universals and not delivering. Like, you know, comedians go on stage and go, hey, you know when you take like a hamster and stick an SD rocket in its ass and then light it on fire and fire it up, and when it lands and it's been blown up, you take a little bit of the paste and put it on your tongue? Who's with me on this? <laughs> you know, they do stuff like that. Who watches every episode of Seinfeld? No one does. Shit, had shut up. Now, magicians, I believe... The good ones, the really good ones and the good writers, and there are three of them, and they're at Magic King. But those people write books that they think are for a limited audience, whereas they really are universals. So these are specifics that are universals. You know, when you read the Piff book, if you've never, ever done a magic trick before and never aspired to do magic, first of all, God bless you. But second of all, if you've never done that and you read through the process of how that's put together, I believe it is inspiring and poetic for someone outside of magic. Well, I'm my pitch is to go into a late night show, like a Fallon or whatever, do a trick from the book, and then have uh, Fallon or whoever pull the book out from under the desk and say, if you want to do these tricks, buy Piff the Magic book. From Piff and, and and then have me lunge over the desk, you know, like uh, Kevin Costner style, trying to like save Whitney Houston and say, "No, don't show them that. They'll know all my secrets. Whatever happens, don't go to PiffTheMagicBook.com and purchase this book for sixty nine dollars ninety five cents, which gives away all my secrets." But you understand that's a very different point than the one I just made. As a matter of fact, it's almost contrary. No. It's almost like you weren't listening to a fucking word I said. It's I a little like that. that. It's a little like listen, that. Now you know what the last three years think, have been I, like for me, Pam. <laughs> you know what happened? What? I did a perfect pitch to sell books to the public. Uh-huh. That's what I just did. Right, right. Exactly. Right? You did. You were the one who was encouraging the public to read them. You're right. You're right. So I just gave you the bridge mm-hmm. to achieve your desire. And what do I get for that? What you get for that is knowing that Penn and Teller, with their book, are going to be doing that on Fallon where oh. you won't get booked. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Luckily for me, I know that Teller is helping writing the book. Helping write what book? The Penn and Teller books. He is? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. So basically, by the time you finish that book, <laughs> network television won't exist. <laughs> okay? Right. Yeah. So it's either me gets on that show or nobody does. But let's talk about uh, Handsome. You are working with me. Yes. Trying to get me to write certain stuff. That is Would bad. you describe that experience as opposed to Piff? Does the phrase diametrically opposed mean anything to you? 
Well, you'll see this, Andy, if we ever work together, which is when exactly hell will be freezing over. That exact <laughs> moment. Um, you'll notice that when you say you need 20 pages done by next Thursday, you get, you get 50 pages an on hour Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> or an hour later. An hour later. <laughs> yeah. One of my and favorite things is working with Penn on TV because you're surrounded by a jaded crew and you say to them, okay, it's very important when you talk to Penn about what you want, you ask him to give you multiple takes and you give him a number of multiple takes you need because he'll do it. And then we're like, bullshit. Then we're like, yeah. no, that's not going to happen. And not, not only that, Penn will give you the first take will be perfect. The second take will be a different take on that take and perfect. The third take will be a different take on the previous two takes and perfect. And you see it all the time and you see the crew every, every single time I've worked with you on TV, everyone's jaw is on the floor because it's multiple takes, different, uh, different interpretations, perfect every time. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, the difference between working with you, Penn, and working with Piff is like this morning... Piff and I couldn't go out for a coffee and donuts without yelling at each other. <laughs> oh, that's true. What? What on earth? Now the book is done, and we've un everybody listening to this understands. Oh, I get it. Andy did the book. <laughs> that that that's true as well. But what do you have to fight about now? Have you spent time with this guy? <laughs> yes, but what do you have to fight about? We'll spend time with that guy. And I have spent time, and with you that don't guy. fight with him. No, no, we don't fight. Oh you and I, you, seriously, coffee and donuts, we were yelling at each other. And you know why? Because you said to me, you know... You know what, what did you disagree on? Hey, coffee hang and on a second, hang on. One of, the reasons, one of the things that you said to me, which I thought was, I may have taken this wrong, actually, now I'm thinking about it, but one of the things you said to me was, you know, you do these amazing things, let's say like the time you did the upside down thing on, on, on uh, Saturday Night Live, you do these great things, these are like some of the most important moments of your career. And you just want to go out the next day to have coffee and donuts with Teller and say, didn't, wasn't that thing great yesterday? And you can't because Teller's back in the workshop. <laughs> so I, I took these boys out for coffee and donuts this morning. And um, I should have just been Andy. It really, it should have been Andy. It should have just been Andy. But the thing is, like, Lovick's staying at my house and he doesn't have a car. So he had to come with us. And then it was just like, he's just arguing with everything that was, what, what did you do to... Okay, so so Andy ordered... Oh, I know exactly <laughs> what it was. So, so Andy orders a donut, a, a, a breakfast sandwich. But uh -huh. he says, I'm vegetarian. Do you have anything without um, the meat in? And they said, well, we can do the sausage one. Are you okay with the egg? And I said, like, yeah, I'm fine with the egg. Okay, so we can do the sausage one. We have to just remove that. So then, then they take a little bit of time, not that long, but... 30 seconds to a minute, no. figuring out how to remove sausage from sausage sandwich. It took, it's, it it's, took if you two, gonna, two employees 10 minutes that, to that figure is, out that is how completely, to do this. That is completely not true. It didn't take 10 minutes. It took about a minute while they were working on how to use the system. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so that took longer than that. Two employees. It took it Listen, several minutes. And you are asking. And I thought that, And I thought that was you, worthy of comment. And I was extremely <laughs> polite about it, and they were doing a great job. Listen. <laughs> The other thing is, you're asking them to take the the reason, the reason to be out of this sandwich. No, sure, yes. Can I have a sausage sandwich without the reason? That's well, what you're saying. I go out with Glenn Ally all the time, and Glenn Ally, the long-suffering Glenn, yeah. who's been working with me for 30 years, 
Uh, Glenn goes and says, I would like a club sandwich, please. You know your chick- your turkey club? I like the turkey club sandwich. I would like it without turkey and without bacon, please. Yeah. yeah. No. So he's getting a lettuce sandwich. So, yeah, right. And, so, and then, well, a no well, well, so, well so, that's what, so, so that's what happens, right? Okay. So then he says. That, that I, part I, of the story is not. It's not important. It's very important. <laughs> it's very important because they've worked. Whose sandwich is this? This is Andy's. Andy's. Okay. Andy's. Then Lovett goes up there, says, can I have the same as Andy? And they go, sure. Blip, blip, blip. Right? His whole thing was, it took them like, did you see how long it took them to do my sandwich? No, Zero that, time. That was your not my point. Your sandwich for 10 minutes. That was exactly your point. It was not my, my it, point was, it should not take two employees 10 minutes to figure out how to put a sandwich in the system. That was my entire point. No. There's a pit, but you didn't see Piff. Lovick looks me dead in the eyes and goes, we have to have a serious conversation. <laughs> and I'm like, what have I done? The other thing was, his sandwich, they took off the arugula for some reason. Uh-huh. And I said to him, do you want arugula on a sandwich? And he's like, what? And I, they, look, and I pointed at the machine. They've taken away your arugula. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I'm just saying, do you want arugula? And he's getting arugula with his sandwich. Do you want arugula? And he's like, what? And then the sandwich has come. And he's like, there's no arugula on mine. Have, <laughs> have, have any of you, and I guess Andy's out of this, but have any of you ever been out to eat with me when I looked at anything before I put it in my mouth? No. If you could take anything off my sandwich, you could put a kitten into my sandwich after I ordered a vegan uh, sandwich and I would just eat the kitten in the sandwich and never notice it. <laughs> <laughs> I never ever pay any attention to what I eat. I I believe I've never sent anything back to the kitchen and I believe I've never complained. I don't think I've ever sent anything back to the kitchen. I did go through a period where I had a laminated cup. This is when I first moved to America. I would start the meal, the waiter would come over and I'd be like, hi, here's $50. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And I was like, look, if you can just do the, not do the following things, then I'll give you another $50 at the end of the meal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was things like, please don't ask me how the food is, because even if I hate it, I'm not going to tell you. And then I'm going to feel bad that I lied to myself. <laughs> uh, it was all these different rules. And I want to hear more of these rules. What else was it? I don't know. I have to look them up now. I, just, I remember that one specifically. And that made going out for dinner very expensive, but pleasant. You're very pleasant. Oh, that was another thing. Don't take away my my plate when other people still have theirs. Uh-huh. Because we don't do that in England. No. It's just so weird. You're just, oh, you're finished with that plate? God, we really need these. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Thank God you're finished. God, we've got to go and wash this right away. <laughs> well, I, I do like my area in front of me clean when I'm done eating. So I think that may be. Really? Yeah, I do. I don't like stuff. I, I, and I also, you know what I don't like? Dining in your room at a hotel. Hang on a second. I don't want food in my room at the hotel. Hang on a second. Yeah. How? When? Are you a quick eater? I'm blindingly fast. Yeah. So you're telling me you're happy just to sit there with nothing, just like, just like, just, just nothing in front of you. That the is only why, message that, being that you should have finished by now. No. You're happy to sit no. there. That with is this why. Message. That is why God made bad decaf coffee. Listen, I if, I'm, if I'm sat there opposite you, uh-huh. and you've ordered whatever you've ordered, and you just finished stuffing a, a kitten in your a face. A vegan kitten yeah, sandwich? <laughs> yeah, and like it, it, the tail's still like wriggling, and you're like suckling it in. <laughs> and all That's can, a weird tasting <laughs> radish. And all I can hear is this muted meows. Meow. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> right? And I'm there. I can't belch on command or that way. I would have done that. I couldn't. I can't I, do I'm there, you know, like carving my whatever I've ordered, like some like Pekingese chihuahua, <laughs> something, and like delicately eating it like the Englishman that I am yeah. with a knife and a fork. I or I I start getting sweaty palm and going oh man Penn's finished his meal I should really hurry up. Huh. Whereas if you got your plate there I'm like hey no rush boys. Okay next time I'll ask them to leave my plate next time that we go out to eat. Well the, the, you don't need you don't need to ask them because it'll be on my card. Okay. Which is laminated because it's a very messy environment in the kitchen. You know um that was a juggling trick I've always wanted to do and now because I'm vegan I, I wouldn't do it but I thought it'd be fabulous. A friend of mine Chip Denman said this thing to me that I thought was so beautiful. He said, my father could eat a whole chicken with a knife and fork beautifully and efficiently. He could get all the meat from that chicken. And I thought, wow, that would be a juggling act I'd like to see. A guy being served a small chicken, right? Yep. All cooked. Say, watch this, knife and fork. I will never touch with my fingers. All the way through, all cut up perfectly and laid out. Like, you ever seen someone from Maine eat a lobster? No. It's a little disgusting, but it's perfect. They get every piece of meat out of the lobster. And by the way, if you're in Maine, which, by the way, when you're eating a lobster, you're just eating a cockroach. And that's not clear to you until you become vegan and sit there having a, uh, a uh, you know, a, a dirt sandwich while everybody else at the table is eating lobster, you go, they're all eating giant cockroaches and I'm going to be sick. That happens. <laughs> but if you say to a main person, you can say, and I've had this happen, I'm done with this lobster. When they fed you a whole live lobster and you say, I'm done with this lobster. And they say, you, you didn't get any of the meat off it. And they'll say, let me, and they'll then pull out an entire lobster's worth of meat out of the lobster you were done with. So I always thought it'd be, I've always thought that in show business, there should be some demonstration. I mean, one of the definitions of genius, okay, which I, which I really like, I forgot whose it is, might be Salvador Dali, I don't know, uh, maybe just because I said that earlier. He said, being a genius is doing what everybody else can do badly really well. And I thought, you know, there's certain things like eating corn on the cob, or eating a small squab with a knife and fork that everybody tries and gets through, but no one's good at. I thought if someone came on stage with a buffalo hot wings and some blue cheese <laughs> and ate that perfectly, getting all the meat off the bone without being messy at all, it would be an amazing act I would love to see. I think that sounds like Teller's next bit. Yeah, except Teller can't really do anything. Well, the last 50 years we've begged to differ yeah. with that. Well, we did it. We actually did a thing this year with a uh, cutting a tomato really quickly and, and perfectly. They did, yeah. they did cutting a Mars bar on Seinfeld, didn't they? I don't know. I never, I watched 15 minutes of Seinfeld with Debbie Harry, and we both said, This is the worst thing we've ever seen. We can never watch this again. That's all I saw of Seinfeld. Right. And I like Jerry, I think he's great. And I like, he's a great guy too. But boy, that's not a show for me. What'd they do with the Mars? Well, bar? you don't you don't know that. Clearly. What what do you mean? You don't know that Seinfeld is not a show for you. How do I not know that? Because you watch fifteen minutes. Right. How much do you need to watch? A lot more than fifteen minutes. You do? Yes, because So, so I have to watch the whole series? No, not at all. I can say not at all. I didn't like watching this? Not at all. I think you have to watch at least one or two of the best episodes 
from three seasons. So that's six episodes total. Okay, this is your commitment to Seinfeld. You watch the three, you watch the six best episodes, and after that, you can make up your mind. Because let me ask you this question. Yes. In your entire career, you, you have, have you ever done 15 minutes of which you are not entirely proud? But let me just say, <laughs> and, you... and, just, oh, and okay. just imagine, okay. Jerry Seinfeld was watching your show and saw just that 15 minutes okay. with Debbie Harry. And well, he said to Debbie Harry, you know what, Debbie? I don't think we ever need to watch but, this again. But it was also Debbie that started. Anyway, but she didn't like anything. Anyway, what are the chances that Jerry Seinfeld would come to one of my shows and just happen to see the worst 15 minutes I've done in my life. Not zero. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the chances are. Not zero. Well, I think you've just won this argument. Well, there Completely. You <laughs> Once you say not zero. Yeah. yeah. But I think you're, I think it was just, just, to, I just, because Andy lives in another country. You and, still live in another country? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's going to move to Vegas. Piff keeps trying to convince me to move to Vegas. I think I will. Soon. Where do you live now? In the UK. In the UK. London? In the south, like two hours from London. Okay. Uh, although, Piff fact, we used to live on the same street, and we didn't know it. Where's that? Maidavale. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I just, before Andy goes back to London, I do think we've just given that credit of, it is what, like, the, the thing I was going to say was, even when I wanted to print one photo per page, doubling the book's uh, width is that page count? Thick, thickness, 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 thickness yeah. or length? How, how, how much percentage did they increase the price for us? Oh, like close to fifty percent. So when I added close to fifty percent price, that's not actually true. But it's like it was probably twenty percent extra. But the thing I couldn't get my head around is how many trees you were willing to destroy oh, just to win an argument. Well, let's, what are let's trees talk, giving us? Let's what are trees talk, giving let's us? Let's talk about this myth. Environmentally. Uh, paper is very little harm whatsoever to the environment because the trees that are forested for paper are trees that have been planted for paper. Because they so were that, bad. That changes everything. Yeah, then you did a good trees. thing, Piff. You well, did good. Then exactly. I'm, I'm on your side They're now. the naughty trees. They're the trees that didn't learn at school. They, they didn't contribute to society. So they got harvested for paper. Tree schools. Yeah. So uh, the book, also, I haven't seen the deluxe version. Is the deluxe? You, you know you're getting one. I know I am. You told me. Yeah. And how how much is the deluxe version? Three fifty. Three fifty. I gotta tell you, sixty five dollars for that. That was just said sixty five. Sixty nine. He doesn't know the price. Sixty nine. Seventy. Seventy bucks. So seventy bucks for that book is really a good bargain. Yeah. That's really, really good. And the deluxe version is really cool because it comes with a tacular, and that was the expensive part. So three fifty sounds really expensive. But it was so hard to make a tacular in, to Piff's Well, you need to now tell people what a fucking tacular is. I thought we, I thought these people are Piff fans. Well, some of them. I mean, Congregation love Piff. Some used of them to be, used yeah. to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Piff, you should explain it. It's 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 a stand that you have all your magic on. It's like a briefcase that you flip over and it turns into a little table. It's a Harbin table. It's a Harbin table, yeah. Yeah, because more people know that than no tacular. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for relating it oh, to, to the common man. Excuse me for being accurate. <laughs> that actually should be what. Now, also, let's talk a little bit about footnotes. My uh, favorite book, uh, my favorite book by a living author, perhaps because it's Moby Dick. But my favorite book is the Mezzanine. Oh my yeah, Nich my Nicholson Baker. I like the me Mezzanine. And the Mezzanine uh, is the closest to the vibe of your book. 
uh, in places because of the uh, ruminations in the footnotes. But you also have this great thing that happens in the footnotes, which is the editor and the author argue in the footnotes, which is really, really funny and good. Yes. What was ironic about that was I wrote all those arguments Mm -hmm. between me and Lovick Mm -hmm. by having arguments in my head with Lovick. Mm -hmm. Arguments that I knew that I would have if he were there in person. Mm -hmm. Now, I did do some further research on this. I would then bring up one of these subjects and have the exact same (laughs) argument I've written. So I I knew them to be true. So there's a prediction trick built into Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's even a yeah. footnote on a footnote, which mm-hmm. was so hard to design. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of, foot, there's a lot of um, you know, you write something, you're like, well, hang on a minute. This needs, this needs clarification. Yeah, exactly. You know. Uh, but yes, at the end, Lovick pulled it out of the bag and he was a very good editor. While I was in Mexico, finishing the book by the beach, he was a very good editor for the last two weeks. Is that true? It, there's some truth to that. now kidding aside handsome jack did a lot of work on the book didn't he have you not listened to what we said (laughs) no he literally just told me to do things like write a book because to me no but then you're right you're right once once once, finally we got to the stage where the chapters were finished and he would then go back to those finished, 100% finished chapters, and he would like make all the notes and ask all the questions mm-hmm. in the last two weeks in Mexico. Mm-hmm. But no, my idea of an editor is somebody who comes... But this, because this is my idea with any sort of creative process, because this is the only way I create. It's somebody um, who comes and hangs out with you while you come up with these ideas, and they go, yeah, and write them down. That's, <laughs> that's, my, that's my dream. Mm-hmm. I hate... What? I, I hate being on my own in a room having to create. I hate it, and it doesn't work for me. Like I'm writing a bit at the moment for a show that is secret that may be happening, and every time I write it, I go, okay, fine, I've written it. And I go and I take it, and I read it through with the, with the actor who's doing it with me, and I'm like, nope, wrong, 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 wrong. This is what it should say, blah, 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 until I'm like, and if I write stand-up, you know, I write on the page, it's garbage. It's when I'm on stage. The audience don't have to be there. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to be there. I just have to walk on stage and suddenly my head clicks into the right frame of mind and I can write perfect, perfectly and then... State-specific it, learning. That's what it is, yes. Okay. So That's what he's describing. Wait, wait. Is there a solution to this? State-specific learning. Uh, that of interest? It's the reason Keith Richards could play guitar well when he was really, really high. Because he practiced when he was really, really hot. So how do I... So if you're feeling like you want to be on stage, you have to be on stage to do that. Well, wait, there's no, there's no other... I thought it was a good solution to this. No. I thought you were going to be like, oh, well, what you need to we do... We were describing the problem. What? See, I love to write alone. Now, why do you love to write alone? I do. I, but, I, but and I, I also understand completely what you're saying. I, I just want to know, how long did it take you to build a fantasy land where an editor or someone comes, hangs out with you while you get ideas and he goes... That's a great idea. How long? Instantly. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. And, and wh- where do you think that exists in the universe, Piff? In it ex- my head. exists yeah. exactly <laughs> in the place that Donald Trump's apartment is yeah. 300, yeah. is 30,000 yeah. square and feet. It, it <laughs> exists in the same universe where I didn't do anything on the book. Same universe. You did two weeks on the book. Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know what Lovick's great at is like pulling out stuff that Teeth. you want to talk about. Teeth. 
Um, but normally, Lovick would give ideas to an author, and then they go, that's great, I'll write it. But you two would just argue for two weeks, and then yeah. eventually you'd listen to him. Yeah, that's true. This is, this is a big breakthrough moment for me here. Now that we've found out my issue with writing and work generally, state-specific learning, this is the point where you say, oh, well, what you need to do is... I see, I see. I find I'm in, I'm in the perfect situation because I have the best creative business partner who has ever lived. And believe me, if you had Teller as a business partner, all of your problems would go away. Because Teller does kind of do exactly what you want from an editor, but he's not an editor. He is an equal partner, and that's a different Right. And you are 100% correct. And I would like to tell you something that happened to me. We did this book launch, uh, which, which we're probably going to, are we going to release bits of it? Yeah, I think we're going to put it on the socials, put it on your YouTube as well. Yeah, something like that. We'll do something like that. We did a book launch with you and Teller very kindly agreed to be. By the way, I told Mox, you know, m yeah. my offspring, Moxie, we went to that and we saw the book launch and how much work y'all had put into it. And I said, Mox, this is the amount of work you have to do right here. Well, yeah, but we did an hour and a half streaming live show mm -hmm. featuring Penn and Teller, Shin Lim, David Copperfield, mm -hmm. and... Uh, and some Jack. I, oh, I, yeah, he did come in there. right at the end when all the work had been done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Teller did a great bit mm -hmm. where he read the book in various... He did it very funny. ...scenarios. I wrote to him, I said, you stole the show, it was great. Mm -hmm. And he wrote back, which I will not repeat what he said, but he said some things to me that have basically given me nowhere to go in my career. <laughs> he, he basically said, you've completed magic. Huh? And you know my prayer every night. Yeah. Dear Lord, please let me never know what Teller really thinks of me. Yeah. Turns out when Teller really thinks something positive about me, I don't want to know that either. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> because you just go, well, now, what? What, what, oh, oh, shit, what am I going to do next? How's it yeah. going to be as good? Oh, no. Yeah. How am I going to win his approval next time? Oh, no. What's happening to me? Ah. Yeah. Uh, what I told, what, I, what I, I tell everybody, and by the way, no one listens to me except Teller. I tell everyone, don't read anything with your name in it. Right. Now, the exception I made was for Piff Book, which is also very rare for me. Yeah. I mean, Lou Reed's biography has my name in it. I won't read it. I don't read any article with my name in it, even if it's about someone else. And I'm starting to expand that to I won't read anything that has friends of mine's name in it. Right. People say, because when you were on Broadway, you didn't want to see the bad reviews because you thought those would fuck me up. Right. Fuck you up. And I say, no. Yes, I mean, the bad reviews will fuck you up. But the good reviews fuck you up more. Yeah. When someone says, this is what you're trying to do and you did it perfectly and that wasn't what you were trying to do, at least the bad reviews will give you anger and is the clash your countrymen wrote, anger can be power. A slight misunderstanding of your positive qualities is completely soul-sapping. Like, for instance, you say to Bruce Springsteen, oh, you're writing great songs about girls and cars. Right. And it never crossed his mind he was writing songs about girls and cars. Then what did he do for the next two albums? He wrote songs about <laughs> girls and cars, and he ended up being sucky. You know, when Sam Kennison was doing this brilliant, complicated, perfect comedy, and they said, you're just hating women and yelling about it. The next comedy album, he just hated women and yelled about it. 
So you have to be very, very careful. So if someone says someone's written something very good about me, I will not read it. For instance, I think you may have published this, the thing you wrote on our Bible test on Broadway. Yeah, that was... That everybody said was great. Why on earth would I read that? What possible reason would I have to read that? It was not written for me. So yeah, I mean, Teller kind of snuck in under the radar. Do you read things written about you, Pip? I... It's worse than this. For a while. <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> for a while, you would read like comments on like what are those pages where pe- any dipshit can write anything they want. It's worse than this, Pen. What, what, what do you do? I cannot. I, I'm committed to the truth as a person. There's if no some, such thing. But go ahead. If somebody asks me. <laughs> Despite everything that's been said in this podcast. Yeah. If somebody says, where was I when JFK was assassinated? I'm committed to telling the truth. About you that were on answer. the grassy knoll, yes. unborn. Yes, yeah. and unborn. That's why they never solved it. That was the perfect <laughs> crime. Okay, I may or may not have read certain opinions of this book on a site that may or may not be called the Magic Cafe. Oh, you didn't do that, did you? I did do that. Oh, fuck. And I went, as soon as I did it, I was like, Oh, well, now I've just ruined the book, haven't I? Now I've ruined the whole book. Oh, this book is ruined. What a piece of shit. Blah, blah, blah. But yes, there is... You know that I would have physically stopped you from doing that as your friend. You just chainsawed my head off. (laughs) My favorite comment on there is somebody who said that... Wait, you've written it. We've read it too. Of course I have. Oh, God. Uh, Somebody said we overhyped the live stream event. Literally, it was a one and a half hour overhyped event. That was the whole pitch. Not the point of the thing to be hyped. No, I, I 100%. No, but can we get. Glenn Ally reads everything with my name in it. Right. So when I did the, uh, for instance, the Spanish show, people in Spain read it and, and Glenn said it was good. Yeah. That was entirely, the entire reaction I got there was good. And I'll tell you, I read parts of the New York Times review of us off Broadway, and that was the last thing I read. And after that, it was just a question of money. Uh, when we did the Broadway opening, yeah. after we did off Broadway, we did the Broadway opening, the producers, and Glenn wasn't there then, they all read the reviews. And I said, how were they? And they said, money. And I said, fine. Right. That's all I needed to hear, money. If they had said not money. I would have said, okay, when are we closing? You know, right. that's all I need to know. I do not want the New York Times right. to be writing my next show. I have no desire for that. I, I agree. And this is the thing. I, I agree wholeheartedly. So what do you get from the bad reviews? Nothing. You just get like, oh, for me, I just go, oh God, that, that makes me angry. Now I want to go and uh, have a kitten sandwich, right? <laughs> from the good reviews, they just paralyze you. And Teller literally did that, and I went, okay, I want to stop. <laughs> I, I've done enough now. I've completed magic. I'm ready to move on. <laughs> so paralyzing either ways. So maybe this is finally my moment when I get somebody else to read the Magic Cafe yeah. for me. And if you're doing I mean, you could just do it for me. Oh, I don't normally do it. I was just and, intrigued what people thought about the live stream. Andy, how is the Magic Cafe reviews? I have no idea. No, no. no the answer is money oh, or not money. Money, money. Okay, great. Uh, do you read the YouTube? Did you read the YouTube comments? I bet you did. No, I didn't. Okay, you're going to though, right? No. Okay, what if Teller wrote one? Did Teller wrote one? <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> are, are the YouTube comments money or no money? Money. Really? I don't know. I haven't read them. <laughs> Why did you bring it up? <laughs> because I think you will read the YouTube comments. Oh, don't. No. Read 
things with your name in it. Yeah, I, I want to do a trick about this. We're working on a trick. We're working on a big, because I've got some great ones. We used to have this, I used to have a line in the show, I drop a baby from the... Um, from the flies. From, from the flies. Lands, thank you, editing me in, in real time. <laughs> I drop a baby from the flies and I say, um, God, I can never do bits from my show unless I do like the first, the previous three minutes. Uh, hold your hands that you're going to catch a baby. It's fine. There isn't a baby up there. Apparently, there's nothing funny about dropping a baby, according to TripAdvisor. Uh, no, no, about killing a baby, according to TripAdvisor. Then the baby would drop, and I went, oh, my God, you just killed a baby uh -huh. to the person, right? So then somebody on YouTube writes, I was talking on TripAdvisor, somebody on TripAdvisor writes, there is nothing funny about killing a baby. <laughs> I am a mother. Fucker. There is nothing funny about killing a baby. And I'm like, but hang on, I said that first. <laughs> you so now all that's done is like now now it's no longer a joke it's just like i once i read a trip advisor review where it said there's nothing funny about killing a baby and now i'm just saying that aloud in my show there was <laughs> another time when i was on when i got invited to shania twain uh -huh. shania twain's concert at the coliseum mm -hmm. she asked me to come in full dragon which i did and then she invited me with mr pivels and then she invited me on stage for a campfire sing-along Mm -hmm. which we had the next day i have a google alert on my name got pinged see you're not following my advice if you no, have a google alert on your no, name but <laughs> remember remember how many years i've been doing this uh -huh. how many years have you been doing this okay how many years have i had glenlai how many years have you had glenlai <laughs> yeah. all right okay. so there is nobody else who, who is like that is true because some of the stuff you have to correct yeah yeah, you know, right. some some stuff people write things you have to correct it. Yeah, you have to say actually, you know, you can correct it in a nice way. Thanks so much for coming to the show, but actually, that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. All right. So this one, Shania Twain, one star. I love Shania Twain. She's the greatest singer of all time. I've been to all her concerts. Oh man, I really love Shania Twain. She's beautiful. She has the voice of an angel, and uh, she has a horse in her show. I love Sh Shania Twain. But tonight was ruined when one stupid little English dragon went on stage. <laughs> And did a campfire sing along with Shania Twain, one star. I was like, what did I do? And then he said, this is this sort of dragon that's probably going to turn up on one of these American talent shows any day now. Did he really? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, he's right. And I'm like, that's why you got to read the reviews because you get gold like that. <laughs> no, you don't. You could. There's all, there's literature that's better than that. Piff. You could read other stuff during that time, I believe and you'd be better. I believe we're going to come up with that's that's unarguable, but uh, I I believe we're going to come up with a very good trick about reviews mm -hmm. soon. Good. Um, do you remember when I first moved to Vegas? And I, I do. And I made a comment about um, where do we get Mister Pills from? And I said we just and I said we just drove down the I fifteen and we found a load of feral chihuahuas, mm -hmm. so we picked them up and. Uh, we rehearsed with them until we found the best one and we released the, the others back onto the I-15. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what we do, Mr. Piffles. And every time we need a new one, we just go back to the I-15. Mm -hmm. And some woman uh, sent me a scathing, posted a scathing review of the show uh, because she didn't like the way I treated Mr. Piffles on stage. And then she went uh, and did her background research and found the interview. And she said, and I wasn't wrong because this is how he finds his dogs. <laughs> so, you know, Sometimes you got to read that shit. Yeah. Well, why don't you go through and every time you feel like reading something with your name in it, why don't you do a search 
for Joe Biden and read everything with his name in. Why would I want to do that? Just to see something other than you. That won't hurt you. Yeah, but you could have chosen anything but Joe Biden. I, I could have chosen anything. My first thought was Donald Trump, and I thought, nah, don't do that. Well, what about your third thought? My third thought would be just pick someone like Sun Ra. Okay, that's Read everything written about Sun Ra. All right, that's not as bad as, yeah. as your second you're right, thought. You're right, you're uh, right. Sun Ra would be a good choice. Yeah. But uh, I think that um, that I also... When I read stuff with my friend's name in it, uh, I also think, uh, no, that, uh, see, I'm going to sum the whole thing up like this, okay? I had an old friend from when I was like uh, 20, and uh, I knew her when she was in college because I did not have the benefit of a higher education. I was about 30 then, and I was uh, on Broadway or off Broadway, and she came into town. We went out to have lunch. We had not had lunch. We were very close friends. We were like in our 20s. And I, I came out, and uh, she, uh, we sat down for lunch, and she said, I ordered something, and she said, aren't you going to get shrimp? I said, what, what, what are you talking about? She said, I saw an article in the New Yorker that said you like shrimp. And I said, no, you have to know me. You can't know me through what's written about me. I do not want to know my friend Piff from what other people wrote about him. Okay. I want to know about my friend Piff from my friend Piff. Yeah. That and um, I think you've summed it up. Penn Gillette confesses Joe Biden is not his friend. Zero stars. <laughs> <laughs> that was Penn Sunday School. By the way, buy Piff's book. Cha cha cha. PiffTheMagicBook.com. You become naked. $69.95. From Vanishing Inc., which Vanishing Inc. has really good stuff. Now, see, this is a thing we, don't, we probably don't agree on. I think the Danny D'Artez video on how he fooled us should be for the general public. Wow. Danny does not agree. It's a masterclass. It really is. Also, you can get the special edition of the book. Yeah. $350 from Vanishing Inc. Cheap. Cheap at twice the price. Cheap at twice the price. You know we love you. And uh, hey, Matt Donnelly, anybody to thank? I want to thank the people who support us on Patreon because without Patreon, there is no podcast. Thank you to Nick Dingman, Colin Durham, Lancey Minshew, Stephen White, Harlan Liam Clark, Michelle Yeiser, Brogan Hastings, Placida Scott, Damian Martin, Garth Reynolds, Adam Luce read Random and he loved it, Timo Tihoff, Mark Pickenheim, Scott Kelly, Kirk Barrett, Adam Burzens, Matthew Applehands, Fractured Adventures, Carlos Alvarez, Nicholas Emerson, Michael Cornwall, Ross Devereux, Ryan Matthews, Jeff Bakker, Impossibilities Magic Show in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Michael Torbay, Elon Lee, Jeff Loomis, Jacob McCulley, Nicole Martin, Crazy Cat Lady Scoop, Music Man, Keith Corning, No Thank You Daddy, Rachel Hawkins, Chris Angel Tuen Un Pregunta, Jake Schneider, Pete Hoke, Kelly McCauley, Corey Mitchell, Robin Garnett, JLBusinessAdvisors.com, Love Tom and Julie Lynn. Ovi Dimitrian Jr., Jeremy R22, Winter Wierkowski, Kristen Kladick, Haiti Wabi, Michael Cohen, Mo Larry Cheese, Dr. Scoop Little, Joe Mastrangelo, Jeremiah Jenkins, Michael Kaplan, the Jelly Bean Counting Idiot and the Luckiest Husband in the World, Alexander Hoffman, Danny Olwine, Stephen Volcano, Jim, the magician who would love to perform the new Penn and Teller block trick naked, Scooped Mids, and Paul McBride. Thank you all so much.